This is considered one of those love it or hate it episodes of Star Trek. I'm not 100% sure I agree, but I would like to know right off the bat, is there anyone out there, any, any of you viewers, who love this episode? I don't mean like, I don't mean tolerate. You really like it. You really like it. Honest question, no judgment. I do not. I have no problem admitting that. But, well, let's build up to it. First of all, I have to admit something. When I first started talking about the the anti-recurring character thing in Season 3 of Deep Space Nine, it was basically as a joke. I mean, obviously, it wasn't something I made up. The characters I have referenced are characters who will not be recurring. And yet, the more this goes on, the more this is proving true. Because Marta now, or Marta, if you prefer, is suddenly not a recurring character. Even though she's been referenced several times, she has now been written out of the show and off to go to Science Academy. So I guess the trend of no recurring characters continues. I'm really not sure what's going on with this. Like, it has to be a coincidence at this point. That being said, and this is going to sound weird, why don't they correspond? I mentioned this with Gamora back in Second Skin, but it would have been nice if every now and again in a scene with Jake, he's just there and he's reading a letter from Marta and how the Academy's going, or maybe helping her out with, with some of her studies or something, right? I mean, something. Doesn't that sound kind of like some way to keep the continuity going? You don't have to keep them boyfriend-girlfriend. You could just say that they're keeping in touch. It's not that hard of a thing to do. Uh, so... This is the uh, this is the episode where the writers officially acknowledge the Bashir O'Brien friendship that they've kind of been building up intentionally and otherwise for quite some time at this point. I do think the two have some good camaraderie together. I don't have much to share about their friendship. There's actually a future episode which where I plan to talk about the two of them where it will be rather more significant. Let's just say that and move on for now. I do like the idea that Odo is going to the festival in order to try and expand his limits. It's pretty likely that his infatuation with Kira, which is formally confirmed in this episode, by the way, this is the first time they have actually flat-out stated that Odo has a thing for Kira. Um, so that in, that infatuation is probably what's helping to drag him out of his shell, so to speak. But I don't think that's it. I don't think that's the only thing, in other words. I think that Odo has been slowly trying to find his own particular place in social interactions. And this is just another step of him reaching out and doing more. That's just my opinion, but I do like the idea of it. I like the idea of the Gratitude Festival in general, actually. I've burned paper before. No, seriously. Uh, one of the things my mom used to, used to do with me, actually, is we'd sit down when we were both feeling really, really, really bad, because we've both been through some hells in our lives, and we'd sit down and we'd draw or write and basically just vent onto the page. Then we'd take whatever we writ, wrote or drew, crumple it up, and burn it. Right? How many of you have done something like that? So I kind of like the idea of that being an actual festival. That also makes sense given that these are the Bajorans. There's nothing that confirms this in this episode, and I don't want to get too much into you know other canon sources and other information sources, but all I want to say is that I've always liked the idea that the Gratitude Festival started when the occupation ended. The Cardassians left, and that was a day of celebration, which led to the Gratitude Festival. Something about that just appeals to me. If something that horrific is finally ended, I mean, wouldn't you make a holiday about that, right? Um, 
the there's this really good scene, and this is a very good scene, and I know you're all going to hate me for this, so please forgive me, where Kira and O'Brien are there, and they're just like, hi, yeah, yeah, Major, Chief, uh, eh? uh, Keiko. Oh, yeah. Burial. Ah, okay. <laughs> Good luck, right? <laughs> That's it, because both of them are just nervous about meeting their respective loved ones. But what I really enjoy, and once again, this episode nails it, is the the, ver- the far more real relationship that O'Brien and Keiko have. I know I've said that like 30 times before, so I'm just going to bullet point this one, just to really help make my point. The relationship feels a lot more real to me, because... Burial and Kira are still in that puppy love phase. They see each other and they're like, ah, blah, blah. Keiko's just tired. And she's just, oh, God, I've had the hardest thing. And then Molly throws up on his shirt. Now that is a lot more real. And I know that there's preferences involved in this, but I find that to be a lot more engaging and interesting than mwah, mwah, personally. This is even further made in when the two grow into a rather natural argument later on. Mostly because both of them are feeling kind of hurt and upset about things. Both of them are stressed. And both of them, let's be honest, are basically requiring slash demanding, internally at least, that the other be the source of relief for them and their particular stresses and worries. And, well, that leads to issues. That leads to conflicts. Now, what I would have liked to see is them actually discussing this and really working through it, rather than just yelling, taking a minute apart, and then reconciling. However, it is worth noting that I have seen real relationships in real life that do exactly that. They get upset at each other, and then it's like, there's just this pause, all right? We don't talk, we don't communicate. I shouldn't say we, I wasn't a part of this. They don't talk, they don't communicate. They separate. Emotions drain out of the situation. And then once they can actually talk and think, they get back together and rediscuss, and it's like, okay, everything's fine now. I have seen that happen. Um, But yeah, the argument starts over nothing. She's doing hard work. It is very hard work. It's good work. She's clearly satisfied in this work. But then she mentions, she says probably one of the worst things you could say to your loved one, whether it's temporary or permanent. Oh, such and such warned me not to tell you. Ouch. That speaks so much for itself, I don't feel the need to analyze it. But then it cuts to the idea of him... Well, Quark gives O'Brien some advice about treating women like property. And Quark also says, and I quote, There's no arguments, no divorces, and no broken homes on Ferenginar. I don't think I believe that. And I'm not just talking about Moogie. I really don't think that's actually a thing. In fact, I wouldn't be surprised if that's really, really not the truth back on Ferenginar. Ignoring the fact that the equality thing... We'll talk more about the Ferengi female thing later, because it will come up in this show, so let's just leave that topic for later. So anyways, Cork gives some bad advice to O'Brien. Let's just call that what it is. I'm sorry, but treating a loved one like property, regardless? No. And then O'Brien kneels by the door, and... Credit to the guy who plays O'Brien. He, you could really feel the genuineness in, in his words. I've, I've put my letter of resignation in. I will follow you to Bejor, and I will follow you there. Because at the end of the day, while he does love his career, and he does want his career, he does have that ambition and that drive to be a chief operator, to be someone who is a chief, basically a chief engineer. She is more important to him than that. Now... 
that's some nice symmetry, and it's pretty much the only really good part of this episode, because it calls back to when she left not too long ago. When he, when I, I I gave that whole discussion, remember? And Bashir laid it out for O'Brien. The flat reality is, in, in Federation personnel, Federation citizens in Star Trek have their own ambitions and drives that they want to pursue. So those things are important to them. But in this case, O'Brien is flat out stating that as much as that matters to him, she matters more, and she, as she proves, acknowledges and understands well enough that she cannot ask him to give up his career any more than he did ask her to give up her career back in when she finally left. And that's good stuff, and it's nice symmetry, and I like it. But I have to admit... There's also this wonderful bit, and I can't believe... They, they nail this so perfectly that whoever wrote this episode obviously has experienced this. He's, he's poured his heart out to her, and there's no reaction. And he's admitted this horrible, difficult, dangerous... I shouldn't say dangerous, it's the wrong word. This is not an easy thing for him to do, but he says, I'm willing to do it. And then she says, nothing. Sweetie, did you hear me? And her response is, I, I need time to think. Go ahead and go to the party. Ouch. Now, for those of you who don't quite get that... Um, I know this doesn't bother other people as much as it does me, but it's basically the concept of the incomplete circuit. There's just the thing that's there, right? It is unresolved. You don't know if things are going to go well or badly or anything in between. You have just tried to reach out to this person, and they may reconcile, reconcile with you, or they may not. And that's just going to sit there and hang there and color and tint everything you do and everything you think and feel until that circuit is closed. Right? Now, that bothers the crap out of me because I don't like unresolved matters in general. That's just a, a thing with me. But I've seen that and known that to be a thing for everyone to some extent or another because it's just sitting there. You don't know how this is going to turn out. And you're afraid. You're, you're un uneasy and you're nervous. What if she says, yes, I'll take that, then I get to leave my job, and that's going to suck. I'm going to do it, but it's going to suck, and you're just sitting there, worry, fret, worry, fret, worry, fret. They really nail how powerful that kind of a moment is, and I wanted to give praise on that. Because then we have to talk about the rest of the episode. Okay, credit where credit is due. There's this scene where Baral and Kira are stepping down from the podium, and Loxana is, like, right there. And Loxana just kind of goes like this really quick. And then Baral, as he's going down, just kind of goes like this really quick. It's actually so subtle, I don't think I've ever seen that before. Now, this is funny, because every other time they do the, oh, I have a headache indicator that the, the feelings are being passed on, it's really, really obvious to the point of being overt. And I find that almost strange because that one little, just tiny little nod, it's less than a second between Loxana and Baral, was nicely done and wonderfully subtle, and I wish they, they had done the rest of them like that, you know. Instead, pretty much the moment we see the, the first real interaction, which I think is the one after Jake, it's like, oh, it's Loxana, right? I mean, this isn't the first time we've seen a telepath affect the rest of the crew, is it? <clears throat> but anyways, so... I have a note here. Why is it so short-range? Loxana is an extremely powerful telepath. One of the most powerful telepaths uh, we ever see on this show, in any of Star Trek. So why is it, like, within feet that this affects her, or affects people around her? As an aside, I do fully believe that Loxana would be the kind of person who is too proudful to look up, you know, and to seek care 
if she is showing symptoms of a known disease which only affects older women. I totally believe that. Uh, what I have difficulty believing is that there is a disease with which does... Well, no, that's not true. I believe that, too. I actually kind of like the idea of telepathic diseases. I know that sounds strange, because obviously it's not a disease. So to be more accurate, I like the idea of a disease which affects telepaths and thus has telepathic symptoms, telepathic consequences. That's kind of a neat little bit of world-building, and I like that. But, um... I wrote down the exact moment in which the episode just kind of nosedived into silly... It's at the 16 minute 43 second mark. It's when Jake professes his love for Kira. And I'm just sitting here like, okay. And I'll admit I have almost nothing to say about the entire rest of the episode because the rest of the episode is just silly nonsense. Now one of the stated intents behind this episode is to go ahead and uh, pull a Midsummer Night's Dream thing. Now for those of you who have not studied Shakespeare, one of the arguable points, and I gotta say arguable because there's so much about Shakespeare that's debatable, one of the arguable points of Midsummer Night's Dream is to have different people coordinate and interact with people in ways they normally wouldn't as a method of examining those characters, trying to give more insight into them. Now, so on the face of it, I'm with him. On this part, you know, I, I'm, I'm with the idea. Uh, have these people paired up with other people in this wave of infatuation and have it be a way to reveal more about themselves, right? Two problems with this in this episode. First of all, the pairings off make no goddamn sense, with, with one exception. Um, they just, I feel like they took a dartboard and just were like, like, I legitimately feel they didn't put the kind of thought necessary or the care or effort necessary into pairing off people appropriately. Second problem, this doesn't say anything about any of their characters. Nothing that, we un nothing that is unveiled, nothing that happens, really gives us an insight into any of them. Really. <laughs> we get insight into O'Brien and Keiko, but they're not affected by all this crap, so that doesn't even apply, right? So, <laughs> what? Uh, and I will give credit to Avery Brooks and to uh, Terry Farrell for somehow not bursting into ridiculous laughter during their scenes. Because Dax, Dax's approach is actually hilarious. It's like, oh, I know, he hasn't gotten his hands off me. Because we both know it's always been you. And it's just, what, 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 what? Whoa! And I do want to give credit where credit is due. Cisco finally freaking calls this in. I, I know that this sounds weird, but I actually want to give credit to this. This is actually a good thing. Because at least in Deep Space Nine, whenever someone is acting unusually or out of character or whatever, there's a pretty good chance, statistically speaking, that they'll call it in. They'll be like, hang on, something's wrong. Now, ironically, that's going to be important later in this franchise in a very big way. But, you know, like I, I like how he's like, okay, we need to get her checked out. What I do not like is how the checkout shows absolutely nothing wrong, even though she is basically feeling thoughts and emotions, which are probably triggering chemicals which shouldn't be triggered, in ways that she shouldn't be doing, in the ways that are not normal. Also, I hate to point this out, but we do have technology as of this point in Star Trek to detect telepathic interactions. That is a thing. We, uh, we don't have the ability to block it, per se, if I'm not mistaken. Data made a point about that. But we do have enough knowledge of it to detect it. I mean, telepaths have been part of the Federation since before the Federation was founded. So you'd kind of think this is the kind of thing that's studied, right? Anyways. So, uh, 
And then it gets to the party, and the party is clearly the, the, the culmination of this ridiculous nonsense, and Cisco just gives this really weird questioning shrug, and O'Brien, there's this part where Jake sits down and is like, she doesn't love me, Chief. Who? Kira. And then, or Norris, I think he actually says, and then O'Brien's face is perfect, just, oh. <laughs> like this just got complete okay this is total nonsense kind of face there's also this great bit where Burial is I will fight you I will fight you for her and Cisco effortlessly and without even trying just completely <laughs> owns him to put it as bluntly as I can in the fight and I have to admit watching Bashir and Kira go at it was just hysterical. I, I, I literally, my note is literally just ha 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 because I was actually sitting here in this very chair just laughing my head off as the two are like, oh, I can't get my hands off of him. <laughs> I don't know, it was just, it was, it was ridiculous. It was ridiculous and therefore it struck me as amusing. For those, for the three of you in the audience not aware, Nana Visitor and Alexander Siddig at this point in time were married. And I point that out, and I was paying attention to it this time around, because the only two actors who, basically, who get across the idea that they're actually madly um, in lust with each other, let's put it that way, are Kira and Bashir, the two actors who are married in real life. I, I kind of always suspected that, and I'm pretty sure that, I, I have since confirmed that, having gone back through this anyways. Quick aside... The ridiculous counter goes through the roof um, when Quark comes out onto Keiko. Quark goes after Keiko. Now, you're probably thinking, oh, that's horrible. N no, Quark's a Ferengi. <laughs> How is this telepathic thing affecting a Ferengi? Anybody? No? Okay. I don't like this episode. But what really bothers me, and there's this point right here that I wrote right at the end, what really bothers me, this is basically the Borg thing. Let me explain what I mean by that. When you are assimilated, and we know this, we know this from several different works, when you are assimilated, uh, you still have you. You are still an individual conscious entity inside yourself. You have no control over yourself. You are effectively a prisoner in your own body, and technically in your own mind as well. And the longer you're in the collective, the more that will damage your psyche and your ability to think and function as an individual. But you're still there. When you are released from the collective, you have all of those memories still fully intact, assuming nothing was purged by the, by the collective. This affects people in the same way. They all have full memory of everything they did. I want you to do me a favor and think really quickly if there's like a coworker of yours or a friend of yours or someone you have absolutely no attraction to whatsoever that one day you just started lusting madly after and making out with and then you go back to being normal a few days later. Yeah. It's okay. These events will never be mentioned again because screw continuity. I'm sorry. I'm being mean at this point. Like I said, I like the Keiko O'Brien stuff, and there are parts that were sufficiently ridiculous that they did make me laugh. But there's this one line at the end, and this just pisses me off. Uh, it would only affect people at short range, and only if there was some pre-existing subconscious attraction. Which means, on some level or another, Jadzia Dax is actually attracted to Cisco, 
Jake is actually attracted to Kira, Kira is attracted to Bashir, Bashir is attracted to Kira, and Boreal is attracted to Dax, and Quark is attracted to Keiko. I think that's everyone. <sighs> Why is that a thing? Why add that line? Seriously, why not just have them gravitate to, like, the first person they see, for example, which, in all honesty, to me, would make more sense. Because the whole point is that just the, the, the strength of the lust, and I'm going to keep using that word, the lust is what's being projected. So it's just, mm, and then you look up and there's such and such, and it's like, oh man, such and such looks really good right now. And you start to fixate a bit, right? That makes more sense than, oh, I'm so in lust with this random person that I've been friends with for years. I mean, really? Anyways, I have not more to add. I do hope you've enjoyed. Um, I, I do, quick aside, quick aside. Let me check my notes really quick here, though. Yep, that's what I thought. We're going to cover some very dark, very heavy episodes in the next week or two weeks. I, I never decide if a two-parter is going to be one or two episodes until I get there, so we'll see. But um, these episodes, which are past tense, part one and two, are very dark, very serious episodes, which cover some very controversial issues, and arguably have a bad ending. Now, I mentioned that because one of the deliberate intentions with this episode was to have something ridiculous, lighthearted, and fun before we go into that kind of a darkness. And it's not like I'm against that idea. I just I really don't agree with their execution. Nevertheless, I'm going to brace myself. I'm going to try as hard as I can to avoid controversial topics, but I will be seeing you guys next week. <laughs>